Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we begin a new series called Mysteries of the Kingdom, which is a continuation of Dr. Newfeld's study on the book of Matthew. It's a message entitled Mysteries of the Kingdom. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 11 to 13 as we join Dr. Newfeld now. We have in our culture a number of ways of saying that things just don't make sense. So we say things like, well, that stuff's just beyond my pay grade. Now, when we say that, we normally mean, I may not understand it, but someone there does. When we say, well, it's a mystery to me, we might mean by that, well, perhaps no one understands this. We might even say, it just doesn't make sense. You see, we're not just saying that we don't understand. We might be saying that the things we're talking about defy all explanations. Let me give you some examples of that. Roy Orbison once sang a song entitled, She's a Mystery to Me. He tells of a woman who at night will take him to some twilight land where he falls beneath her spell. But in the morning, he says, our heaven turns to hell and he wonders how that can be. He says, she's a mystery to me. Now, he doesn't mean with a bit of work, I'm going to understand this mystery. And neither does he mean that someone else might understand it. He means it's inexplicable. It's maddening. It's beyond all reason. And Eddie Vedder used that same language when he wrote, it's a mystery to me. We have greed, he says, of which we have agreed. You think you have to want more than you need. Now here when Vedder says, it's a mystery to me, you get the sense that he means it really is no mystery at all. He means it's hypocrisy. You can't justify what you're doing, but you keep on doing it. I'm giving those illustrations about how we use the word mystery in our day. But in contrast to that, what did Jesus mean when he talked about, you know, the mysteries of the kingdom? Now, hang in there, and I'll explain that. But here's the question. If Jesus really is king of kings, if he really is God in human flesh, if he does really rule over all things, then explain to me how it is that he seems, well, so weak and unable to control the world. You know, it's a mystery to me. You know, not long ago while I was in church, I was amazed as we were singing songs of Jesus' victory over all things. I wondered then, as I guess I still do now, what people think when they sing songs like that. Does that seem to gel with real life? I mean, when they think about the world and atheistic dictators and even religious ones, when they think about the ever-increasing secularization of our culture, where in this country, it's not even legal for the Gideon organization to hand out free Bibles in the public school system, Does it seem to them then that Jesus rules? Well, it's a mystery to me why they seem to sing this song with such great enthusiasm and people raising their hands. I wanted to ask them how they squared that circle. It's a a mystery to me. And more so, I'm hearing even among some Christians, perhaps, just perhaps, they think, you know, you can get to heaven without Jesus and his shed blood on the cross. And I kind of think that those people are looking at all the people who believe different things and can't imagine Jesus any more than simply the object of their own religion. And other people, of course, have an object to their religion. But king of all kings? See, I think lots of people, even supposed Christian ones, just don't believe that anymore. And I'm setting out the main issue of this section of the Bible, three chapters to be exact, Matthew chapter 11 to 13. I've called this section the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But when the Bible uses the term mystery, it doesn't mean a mystery in the way that I've described it. 
You know, in the Bible, a mystery is something we really do scratch our heads about, but God has decided to reveal it, at least to some of us. And the mystery that I think Matthew 11 to 13 addresses is the mystery of how it's even remotely possible to believe that Jesus is the king. How is it possible when so many other people seem to have authority and they don't seem to submit to Jesus? I mean, is there an explanation to that? Well, all right, let's start from the beginning. There are four books in our Bible that tell the historical account of Jesus. We we call them the Gospels. Three of those accounts are very similar, and one, the Gospel of John, fills in on a lot of the things that the others don't mention. Now, of these three similar accounts, each of those three are written to a very different audience. That is to say, the events they relay are still historical, accurate events, but they're written in such a way that the audience in mind would readily understand. And so the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, is a 28-chapter book on the life of Jesus. It's written with a Jewish audience in mind, and that's why Matthew, in his book, quotes from the Old Testament Scripture at least 47 times. That's very close to an average of two times in every chapter. And for Jews who were keenly interested in knowing if Jesus really was the long-awaited Messiah, Matthew frequently explains Jesus' actions with references to the Old Testament. And more so, Matthew makes sure his readers understand that Jesus said he had not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And so, if you will, Matthew is a call for serious Jews to carefully read their scriptures and find in them the story of Jesus. Well, there's more to Matthew. Matthew's portrayal of Jesus, or Matthew's gospel, has often been called the gospel of the king. Well, that's because Matthew wants his readers to understand that Jesus really is the long-expected ancestor of King David. And as such, Jesus rules on David's ancient throne, and from there, well, he's destined to rule the world. Well, now, here we come to the mystery. When the Jews read the Old Testament account of David, they also read Psalm chapter 2, the promise that the coming Messiah would speak to the enemies of God and and terrify them, dashing them to pieces like pottery. And as we read through Matthew, we can see what Matthew, as a faithful biographer of Jesus, is doing. You know, in the beginning, Matthew shows us Jesus' genealogy, and yes, it's true. He's a direct descendant of David, and therefore, he is the heir of that ancient throne. And then Matthew, after revealing some of the early ministry of Jesus, allows the reader to listen in on Jesus' great sermon. It's often called the Sermon on the Mount. So in that sermon, we hear Jesus, the great king, telling a breathless crowd that, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So in short, Jesus, the great king, is telling the crowds that he is the great king, and he will determine who it is that gets into his kingdom. And then after the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew takes us on a whirlwind journey, helping us to understand what Jesus was up to. You know, as a brief aside here, it's important for the reader to know how Matthew is presenting his evidence. Rather than giving us a strict chronological account of Jesus' life and ministry, instead, he tends to to categorize or group incidents together. You know, indeed, in Matthew chapters 8 to 10, Matthew groups Jesus' miracles into three categories of three miracles each. And at the end of each category of three miracles, he helps us to see some of the things that Jesus was teaching. 
And so in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 17, the first grouping of miracles, he tells us of Jesus healing of a man with leprosy, then a man with paralysis, and then finally a night of healing in which many in the town of Capernaum were healed of everything. And why is Matthew showing us this? Well, it's because each of those healings demonstrate the compassion of Jesus toward those who are suffering. And that's the key. Jesus is a great king who has authority over all things. But look, says Matthew, how he uses that authority. The great king is a compassionate king. He deeply loves his people. Now, the second grouping of miracles, and that's found in Matthew 8, 23 to chapter 9, verse 8. Well, that grouping shows Jesus first calming a deadly storm with one word, and then second, healing two demon-possessed men, and then finally, third, a healing of a paralyzed man in which he forgives the man's sins. I hope you see Matthew's methodology. He is showing us that the king is not only compassionate, but that he has authority over all things. He has authority over nature, over the supernatural world, and even the authority over a person's eternal destiny. And then the third grouping of miracles. This time in Matthew 9, 18 to 34, Jesus is seen to raise a dead girl to life, heal a woman who's been suffering for 12 years, and then give sight to the blind and give full health to the demon-possessed. Again, we see Jesus not just as compassionate and not just as authoritative, but he's doing the impossible. Well, wait a minute. If he's able to do anything, how can there be any hardships left in this world? If he is this unstoppable king, the son of David, who fulfills all scripture, if all of heaven stands ready to obey his any and every command, if he is indeed king of kings and lord of lords, well then, he must overcome all evil. I mean, wouldn't you think? And yet here we find in the end of Matthew chapter 10, Jesus promising his disciples that all will hate them on account of him and that they can expect to be persecuted and even killed because they are his followers. The world will turn on them, he says. We say, what? Persecution and death to the followers of Jesus, the great king? I mean, how is that possible? Well, it's a mystery, but but can that mystery be explained? Well, you have to read Matthew 11 to 13 and find out, yeah, you can. How will you begin 2019? And when the year comes to a conclusion, what will you look back on to know that you've earnestly pursued God, you've witnessed His power, experienced His love, and declared His praise? Well, Back to the Bible Canada is a Bible teaching ministry not intended simply to change minds, but hearts, and to call God's people to live lives that glorify Him. This new year, we continue to search out God's will and purpose to embrace new opportunities for declaring His word of truth and freely share Bible teaching resources that engage the mind, heart, and spirit. Our prayer is that you would journey with us with your prayers, your encouragement, and your financial support. Together, working to share God's word of truth and life. Call us today with your gift or for more information about all the ministry resources available to you, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be studying Matthew 11 to 13, three chapters on the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, these three chapters will give us an insight into one of the great mysteries that every single Christian must master. Listen, if you're a believer, understand then that your Savior is Lord of heaven and earth, and whatever he utters is done. His authority and power are unstoppable. No kingdom can stand against him. All the powers of hell tremble at his presence. The demons quake, and if they do, what shall be said of the earth's kings and governors? For he rules them as well. Listen, Christian, your faith is not a personal matter. Your Savior is not just a personal Savior. He's Lord of heaven and earth, and no opposition raised up against him will stand. Such is the power and authority of your Lord. Don't you ever forget that? Ah, Yes, but why then do we seem to see the opposite? It does seem like all manner of forces opposing Jesus do stand. You know, for a moment, let's get personal. If Jesus heals disease with such ease, why does cancer and heart disease and strokes and diabetes and Alzheimer's and so many other diseases seem to carry on unabated? And how is it that wars carry on and murder and countries run by despots and drug lords and warlords? I mean, why do they flaunt the authority of Jesus to such great effect? King Jesus, you say? Well, you know. Now, lest you be tempted to simply say, well, that's above my pay grade or that's a mystery to me. Well, you need to hear from Matthew. After all, he was right there. He witnessed Jesus full on. He took notes. He saw not only the miracles and the power of Jesus, he also saw the doubters and the critics and the hecklers and the enemies. Indeed, he witnessed Jesus crucified. Matthew has thought this matter through. And Matthew does believe it's a mystery, but not in the way we call things mysteries in our day. For Matthew, a mystery is something we could never have understood on our own. That is, these things really are above our pay grade. But Matthew knows that Jesus explains these mysteries in ways that we can understand them, in a way that anyone who believes in Jesus will be able to understand quite well. And so, spoiler alert, but here it is. The explanation to all these things is found in Matthew chapter 13. And for our purposes, so that we might understand, Matthew groups seven parables that Jesus told into one amazing chapter. These are the the parables of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but they're more. These are very simple stories that explain what the kingdom of heaven is like in the present hour and why it's like this. I mean, master these seven parables of Matthew 13, and you're going to gain insight into why it is that Jesus is the great unstoppable king. And yet, in the present hour, evil is allowed to exist without him stopping it. Okay, but let's set it up. Remember, we're studying Matthew 11 to 13, realizing that Matthew 13 is the climax or the explanation. But what are Matthew chapters 11 and 12 about? Well, interestingly enough, these two chapters are the first signals that we find in Matthew that there are plenty of people around Jesus who do struggle and doubt. And furthermore, there are those who don't struggle with doubt at all. That is, they think Jesus is not the Messiah, not the great king, and so they actively oppose him. We might call this entire section the growing opposition to the kingdom of heaven and the explanation as to why this is so. So let's start with the beginning. When we discussed Matthew chapters 8 to 11, I then pointed out that Matthew showcased three groupings of three miracles to help us see the authority of Jesus. 
And now, following his typical form, Matthew now gives us three, yeah, you heard it, again three, but now three illustrations of either unbelief or straight-up rejection of Jesus the King. Look, says Matthew, I'm not ignorant of the questions anyone might have about Jesus. Indeed, here are three excellent examples of them. So the first example is found in Matthew 11, verse 2 to verse 30. And it might be the most surprising of all of them. John the Baptist has been imprisoned. Yep, that's John, the great preacher, the one who said that he was unworthy to untie the sandals of Jesus. Yeah, the one who was delighted when Jesus was becoming increasingly more popular than he was. The one who said that his entire mission was to usher Jesus onto the public stage. But now in Matthew chapter 11, we find him wondering if Jesus really is the long-expected Messiah after all. What, are you kidding? I mean, how is that possible? And yet, Matthew wants us to hear about this and face John's searching questions head on, along with Jesus' answer. He wants us to ponder John's doubt and in the process to become honest about our own. He wants us to think about what it is in the ministry of Jesus that might quell that doubt. Now, the second example, and this one is found in Matthew 12, verses 1 to 21. This one is a very Jewish question. Remember, I said that Matthew was written with a Jewish audience in mind. And in this case, we face the question if Jesus really might be a lawbreaker or someone who violates the law of God. And the question surrounds itself around Jesus' rather strange attitude about the Sabbath which constitutes the fourth commandment. How can the Messiah violate Sabbath? And if he does, well, perhaps he's able to do miracles, but how can a lawbreaker really be God's chosen Messiah? Fine and well, but here's a third example. And this one's found in Matthew 12, 22 to 50. And in this section, the Pharisees accused Jesus of being able to do miracles through satanic power. That would really explain everything. It would explain how he's able to do these miracles that no one can deny. And it would, it would also explain why it is that, that evil continues to rule this day. And in short, the charge against Jesus in the third section is that he's a horrible deceiver, a man who promises much, but in the end is in league with evil. Wow, that's not about doubt. That's about so much more. I say this because in our day, we're quite accustomed to hearing people say that, you know, they believe that Jesus was a fine moral man, and he's even someone who inspires the highest virtues and morals among people, but, but they don't believe he's the Messiah or the Son of God. And truth be told, so many of us have become so used to defending Jesus against these charges, it's never even occurred to us that someone would make the opposite charge. But read through the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, and you'll soon find out that almost no one in his day said he was a good and moral man who was not the Son of God. Instead, they argued that he was not a good and moral man at all, that he was wicked, as wicked as could be. And quite frankly, it is this charge and not the opposite that must be thoroughly researched. Because as you and I know, there are millions and millions of people who have put their entire trust in Jesus, and because of their faith, have suffered persecution, the loss of property, imprisonment, the loss of family, and even death. If Jesus gave us the impression that he is the long-expected Messiah and the Savior of the world, and then in consequence, untold millions have taken him at his word and have gone with that belief to their deaths, don't you see? If it isn't true, then Jesus has deceived people into staking their lives on his word, and that would make him evil. So what do we say in response? 
If, as Matthew wants us to believe, that Jesus really is the long-expected Messiah and King, what do we make of all these questions? Is it just a mystery? Well, the seven parables in Matthew 13 explain all of that with amazing clarity. And here we find a story of a sower that went out to sow a harvest. Second, we hear the story of an enemy sowing weeds in a fertile field. And third, a story of a seemingly small mustard seed which grows to become the largest plant in the field. And fourth, the story of a woman who puts leaven into flour and bakes bread. And fifth, the parable of a man who discovers a treasure in a field. And then sixth, a merchant who discovers a pearl of incredible value. And finally, seventh, a group of fishermen who throw a net into the ocean and drag up absolutely everything, both good and bad. And as he tells those seven stories, if you're paying attention and really asking the right questions, you'll soon learn exactly what kind of a king Jesus is, and you'll also discover why he acts the way that he does. And if you take it to heart and really think about it, you should have a breakthrough. See, suddenly it will become clear just how it is that Jesus is ruling the world today. Yeah, I said it. He is ruling all things in the world today. And if that doesn't make sense to you, you should learn to read Matthew 11 to 13 with the greatest of care. You should pour over those three chapters because they reveal the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. For surely Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And so here's my invitation. Join me for four weeks as we examine one of the greatest topics in history, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Take the time to read three chapters of the Bible and thoroughly examine them, and you might find a faith you didn't know existed. John, an interesting point. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things in the Bible which, which I would study and say, well, you know, it's really a mystery. But just because it's a mystery doesn't mean that we ought not look into it or study it or, or try to discover what God is doing. You know, as you say that, Ben, I'm, I'm given to a number of thoughts. I mean, one is uh, it's too easy for us to remain ignorant of our faith. And, and, and none of us should easily accept, you know, answers that aren't plumbed and aren't deeply researched. I mean, we should have an inquiring mind to know everything we can about our faith. I guess the other thing is that, I mean, you know, God is the revealer of mysteries. I mean, there are so many things that we would not know outside of Revelation. So let's not assume that we can, you know, fabricate or cobble together our own answer. Let's understand that, I mean, there are some things that we will never understand, but the God who reveals mysteries can give the understanding to us. So that's what we have here in these marvelous chapters that we're about to study. I think it's going to be fun. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow for a continuation of our series, Mysteries of the Kingdom, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. What headlines are capturing your attention? The stock market, international unrest, politics, violence? Is the world out of control? I want to encourage you, what may appear hopeless is completely within the governing hand of God. What seems mysterious, unwieldy, God's people place confidence in the creator, sustainer, and governor of all things. And that's the point of Dr. Neufeld's new series, The Mysteries of the Kingdom, a study of Matthew 11 to 13. 
Dr. Neufeld wrote, listen, Christian, your Savior is not just a personal Savior. He is Lord of heaven and earth, and no opposition raised up against him will stand. Such is the power and authority of your Lord. Don't ever forget that. Join us all month for the Mysteries of the Kingdom right here on Back to the Bible Canada. And please consider offering your support for this daily Bible teaching program by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.